People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Understanding the state of the commercial real estate industry today requires a global perspective. And RICS, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, is one place to get that. In today's conversation, we sit down with Anne Gray, the Pasadena-based president-elect of this organization, and also principal of Gray Real Estate Advisors. Anne will lead the global organization in the fall of 2022. But today she tells us about their work and how it helps shape the world of commercial real estate across the globe. We also discuss the current state of the industry, which RICS evaluates quarterly through their Global Commercial Property Monitor, a sentiment study of occupiers and property owners. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Anne, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Bud. How are things going in uh, Southern California? Oh, uh, well, it's really hot here, but at least we're not on fire. So that's a plus for yes. this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Anne, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I um, am looking forward to our conversation. Just as a way of introduction, tell us a little bit about you know your background in the industry, what you do, and sort of you know how you got to where you are today. Sure. I guess going, going back a ways, I uh, studied at UCLA. I have a degree in applied math and a master's of architecture. And I um, entered the field in by way of architecture. I worked in, in a couple of architecture firms and I realized pretty early on that I was not a genius designer. I was, you know, probably B plus and there were other people that could do it better than me. And I really liked the idea of being on the on the owner's side and actually being able to to sponsor good architecture and um, really at the end of the day kind of having the you know go or no go control on the project yeah. so so I moved on to the owner's side and and that's where I've happily worked ever since excellent excellent so where are you now tell us a little bit about uh, you know the organization that you work with uh, and kind of what what their history is yeah, so I have uh, my own consulting practice. I started in 1994, and I became involved with RICS, which is stands for, uh, for those of you that don't know, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, and it is a global organization of um, property professionals. Uh, so it's a it's actually a, a credentialed membership and it's headquartered in London, but it is a, a global organization with 134,000 members. Yeah. And it's usually one of these things, I think, when we see somebody from the Commonwealth or maybe from the from the UK that comes to the US, they will usually have this like in their title, right? Or that they are, you know, chartered, if you if if you will, which is uh usual there, but you know, somewhat unusual here here in the US, right? 
Yeah, so it was started in, in 1868 as a way of kind of proving competence yep. um, in the property business. And in the UK, the term surveying isn't just land surveying. It's actually anything to do with property. So, you know, it includes, um, you know, brokers and consultants right. and inspectors and project managers. So, you know, anybody in the in the property business. And in the U.S., of course, it's not required because we're licensed by state governments. But in the U.K., it actually is a requirement to practice. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's useful for Americans because, you know, real estate portfolio portfolios are multinational and big banks recognize the designation, government agencies recognize it. So, you know, it's um, and anybody that does cross-border work at all really should have it. Right, right, right. What is the organization's background here in the U.S.? RICS has been in the Americas for a while, where the United States is combined with Canada, the Caribbean, and Latin America as the Americas region. And so we have an Americas board that oversees member engagement in that, in that region that we're part of. And in this region, does it cover all commercial property types? you know, office, yeah. industrial, sort of retail, right? Yeah. So we like to to say that RICS professionals are responsible for dirt to disposition. So we have investors, <laughs> okay. valuers, project managers, facilities managers, brokers, like everybody. And it's mostly, of course, land, commercial and residential, as yep. you'd expect. But we also have really interesting professionals that are involved in oil and minerals, art and antiquities, mapping. We have a a member that helped the World Health Organization track the spread of Ebola virus with a okay. high-tech mapping mapping system. Yeah. And we have a member that maps archaeological sites in Egypt. PropTech and BIM are big areas for our professionals. So it's it's really interesting. Yeah. It's a very diverse group of professionals. Yeah. yeah. Makes it fun. Yeah. So your organization, you know, part of what we're going to talk about today also comes up with this sort of quarterly analysis, right? So it's a global sort of perspective on the industry, right? And there is a quarterly sort of report that comes out, right, focused on your your region or our region here, but maybe also around around the entire globe. Tell us a little bit about sort of that analysis and kind of who finds it useful and, you know, what are some of the outcomes of uh, this research? We actually have a team of economists in-house, RICS does rather, and um, every quarter they do what they call the Global Commercial Property Monitor, and it's a it's a survey of, of all of our members around the planet, um, those that choose to respond, and um, what it measures actually is sentiment, so it's not, it's not data gathering in the sense of, you know, monetary values or, you know, quantities of transactions, but it's really what do you think, where do you think we are and where do you think we're going in, in all the different market sectors? So it gets both investors and occupiers and um, and it's able to, because we've been doing it for so long, we can actually track trends against reality and um, see how accurate we are about, um, you know, kind of forecasting into the future. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And it's more qualitative, it sounds like, right? Yeah. It's, it's very qualitative. It's, it's, a lot of it is about how do you feel about the economy right now? Interesting. Um, okay. You know, in the property world, and and so people, uh, you'll really start to notice things that you might expect, but maybe you don't think about, like 
Um, you know, the Americas are, you know, very exuberant right now in in certain areas that say, you know, China or, you know, EMEA are maybe a little more moderated. And and so you you start to for people that are actually funnel, funneling money around the around the globe, this is really useful information. The people that they interview, are they members of RICS or or are they just associated with the industry, uh, n- not specifically? Yeah, anybody that's in the industry can weigh in. So um, so it is RICS members as, as well as other people. Yeah. So what is a sentiment? Where where are we? Obviously, we've gone through, you know, 18 months of uh, some very, very interesting times, not just for this industry, but overall as a as a as a race, as a, as a society, as a planet, right? Um, He's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Obviously, the commercial real estate industry was was impacted in, in many ways, and I think will likely continue to be impacted also. Where does this survey kind of find what people think about it? Well, it's been really interesting to watch so much of the, this, and this is sort of my interpretation of the readings, let's say, but as the news cycles are reflecting more and less optimism about about a vaccine coming out, you can really see the sentiment tracking that. So um, in late 2019, things were negative, but they weren't as negative as they would become six months later. And then late in 2020, People things started leveling off, and people were anticipating that there would be a turnaround, even though we actually none of us had vaccines. So it's really interesting that people were already anticipating that the market was going to be reflecting, you know, a back to work and you know more more investment and that kind of thing. Yeah, and you know that pretty much translated around the world. Right now, I mean, of course, you know, no surprise, data centers health, tech, and industrial were the heroes, um, as every other survey has shown. But um, office markets have sort of flattened. Sentiments are, you know, people are, you know, I think they're still trying to figure out the sublease, you know, quantity of sublease space out there that nobody's 100% sure of. Hospitality started to become a a more optimistic um, area for investors. And secondary retail still kind of sucks, but positive, uh, you know, prime, primary retail is is actually starting to um, look positive on the investor front. So it's um, it's really, it's fun to see the, the, the graphs moving. In the Americas um, of, of all the regions, more than 50% of the respondents felt that we were in on an upturn in the economic cycle. So I think that um, in none of the other parts of the world thought that. So, you know, that probably, again, tracks to the number of people here that have been vaccinated and and how you know what kind of planning is going on going forward yeah that's very interesting have you found or has the research found that some of this optimism you know and 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 not to be too sort of you know cheeky about it but it's a little bit self-serving in a sense that well uh, the you know real estate people would like things to be good so they're gonna project good things (laughs) also right i'm sort of curious because you know there have been some estimates that, you know, first everybody was going to go back to the office by, you know, the start of this year, then they got pushed a little bit until vaccines. Then, you know, people were hoping they're going to be back to the offices. And, I, and and this is just one sector, obviously, the office sector, right? Right. In, you know, September, now it's getting pushed into 2022. How is that being reflected? Because I am I'm hearing a lot of people from the industry sort of saying, you know, you can only accomplish certain things inside the office. But, you know, there are some companies that are doing quite well outside of the office also, right? Yeah. 
So one of the interesting things about this report is that it actually segregates out occupier sentiment from investor sentiment. So what you were talking about, um, you know, real estate people being, you know, eager and optimistic yeah. and yeah, you know, let's go, <laughs> let's go make some money. And and for sure there would be, in, uh, you know, in the case of every downturn, there's opportunists that are like hot diggity dog. And that turned out to be the case here too. So, but then you track that against the occupier sentiment and, you know, you have to temper it a little bit because the people that are actually in the spaces are like, oh man, my business is not doing well and I need yeah. less space. So you can, you can kind of see them side by side. And our most latest results actually show that the occupier sentiment and the investor sentiment are at the same level right now, and they are both optimistic. So I think that really tells a big story right there. Yeah, yeah, it does. Does the uh, sentiment study also identify certain areas, both geographically, but also from an industry point of view, that might be doing well in the near term? So, you know, we know industrial and life science has done really, really well. We know multifamily on the grow on you know the sort of grand scheme has done well too, but does it identify certain sort of aspects of 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 that, you know maybe smaller office versus larger office or if there is such uh, you know a distinction you know but also does it distinguish between let's say West Coast and you know Southeast for instance right what does it say about that? Yeah, it's not that granular in the United States. We do have some anecdotal responses from people in different parts of the country. Yeah, and the way they divide up, um, let's say, offices, prime office and secondary office. So, you know, that's probably, you know, it's like more urban and less urban or, you know, great location and, you know, marginal location. And so, so that's kind of how the various market sectors are divided. But you can really easily at a glance see what, you know, the prior quarter was compared to this quarter and, you know, kind of start to extrapolate a trend. And probably the biggest change um, that we see is that hotels have a, a massive difference in capital value expectations um, between, you know, last quarter and this quarter. So it's um, that's probably the and, and secondary retail again, you know, retail is it's not a prize right now. Sure. But I think that there may be some increased interest, particularly in secondary retail, because of all the the conversions um, from retail to housing, retail to to creative office, you know, retail to um, last mile logistics, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So those secondary retail locations are starting to look really good. Yeah, interesting. And certainly, I think in the U.S., we've seen sort of the suburban retail locations have done relatively well, actually, spare maybe for some malls and that kind of thing. But the sort of small center kind of stuff um, has done relatively well. Overall, are there any observations around things like sustainability and things like that. Obviously, prior to the pandemic, I th would argue there was a you know trend towards that more and more, right? But I think uh, it's been disrupted uh, probably during you know 2020. What does it say about sort of you know focus focus about that? Yeah, definitely. So this particular survey asked that question: What is the what is the appetite for sustainable buildings? Are you you know are you seeing interest? How's it affecting capital values and that kind of thing? And actually, globally, about two thirds of respondents said said yes, it is a factor, and there is a premium for you know sustainable buildings. Yeah. Which in age now, you know, we're we're starting to conflate the idea of a healthy workplace with a sustainable workplace, and we're starting to realize how how they actually are kind of the same thing. And if we're looking at the well being of our employees, then you know the building itself has to be functioning in a healthy way. 
So, so that is a huge factor. And interestingly, while there is a rental premium for a green building, it's not a huge rental premium, but there is a discount for a brown building. So that's, um, that's significant as well. Interesting. Yeah. And what about the impacts of, you know, climate change? I mean, you know, you and I live on the West Coast. We're um, feeling the impact of that change, I think, very personally, right? Is that something that you see kind of, you know, creep up into into some of the sentiments more and more? You know, we don't ask that question specifically, but I think that the Surfside condo collapse is an enormous wake-up call to yeah. the real estate industry. Everybody that's got an aging building has, you know, on the coastline anywhere in the United States has got to be paying attention to that. It's going to be affecting insurance, buildability, um, you know, cost of money, speed to market. Ev- everything is going to be looking at at new new builds as well as um, refinancing old ones. And um, we sh- we should be paying close attention to that. Yeah, yeah. And you've been um, seeing these reports now for, you know, a number of years, you know, as you've kind of looked at them and as you've sort of looked at these studies, what are some of the, you know, trends out there that you would highlight and, you know, say, you know, this is kind of how the industry is evolving more and more? Yeah. So one of the, one of the big trends is the interest in, in ESG from an, an investor side. Um, you know, the big companies like, you know, Cushman and Wakefield that are advisors, BlackRock that are investors have across the board corporate policies that they are interested in ESG. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, the sustainable, I think we all know technically how that works. It's going to be interesting to see how they're tracking the social and, and governance components of it. One of the important things that RICS does is actually create, um, you know, money laundering and and corruption standards for people that are doing projects around the world, because you want to make sure that, you know, whatever you're working on, you know, you start to see the the indicators that it, you know, it could be a a corruptly funded project. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So these are are things that I think at the at the very highest levels of, you know, the the multi billion dollar um, investors are really paying attention to and and that's so important and you know it's it's one of the things that that I think is a is a good byproduct of a global crisis and you know I'm hoping it gains more traction yeah is that one of these trends that is you know primarily relevant in the United States or do you also see kind of parts of it you know creep up in you know Europe Asia and you know elsewhere well definitely in Europe you know, the other parts of the world, um, I think it's a little harder because yeah. the economy seems to be less, um, maybe more opaque, less transparent. But, you know, so much of the money is is emerging in the developed countries for investment in other countries. So when the when the standards and the, you know, the sort of the ethical component comes into play at a at a very high corporate level, you know, that can affect the outcomes in the in the lesser developed countries. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other trends in terms of materials, uh, ways of, uh, you know, the buildings are being built, construction, you know, logistics, anything like that, that also um, are, you know, evident through this research? Well, you know, robotics is huge. Everybody's looking at the logistics, you know, industrial as a market sector and how many, many uh, millions of square feet. Um, I calculated it that just in 2021, Buildings built, um, industrial um, warehousing built 
under construction and planned for 2021 would cover the entire state of Indiana. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's one year. And you have to imagine that robotics are going to be playing a bigger and bigger part of that. Prop tech and retail tech, um, also green delivery systems, self-driving trucks and, you know, that kind of thing. It's on the one hand, these projects are getting approved based on bringing jobs to remote areas, but you have to figure the next step is basically killing those jobs. Yeah, right. <laughs> for, for more efficient operation. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Well, I, I think, you know, automation has been one of these things that's, you know, for the last 150 years, right, has just been gaining more ground in our in our daily work. I can't imagine that it won't do the same in, you know, real estate as well. I mean, that's just a matter of time. And you mentioned prop tech, and that's something you also mentioned when we kicked off the conversation as kind of a an area of, uh, you know, focus. There's been a lot of it, you know, kind of muddling around the U.S., a lot of sort of small companies, a lot of sort of you know, investment firms looking to kind of grow these companies into into viable services and and offerings. W- what are some big sort of areas of interest there that that you would identify? Well, the things that I find the most fascinating are the unpredictable indicators when companies are looking at new markets to get into. You know, they're not looking at existing housing prices. Let's say they're looking at how many people got take out food each night? Um, You know, what kind of cars are they driving? You know, things that are obliquely an indicator of of trends. And they can, you know, they can see, well, last year, you know, only 10% of people got take out, but this year, you know, 30%. And so it's probably a a young workforce, let's say. Right, right, right. Things like that. It's absolutely fascinating. And I think there's, you know, I think there's real gold in that, in that data for people that know how to crunch it. Yeah, interesting. Do you see that being a bigger part of uh, you know the uh, sentiment survey in the in the in the future, and maybe and uh, you know a way to identify uh, some of these products and services further? I do. I think it's a. I think it would make a fabulous sentiment survey all on its own, just looking at at population trends and then comparing them side to side you know, over a number of years with, with the real estate trends and, and see how accurate they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and RICS has been around, you said for, you know, a while now, but every disruption I think is also sort of a, you know, a time of opportunity too. How do you think the organization has sort of looked at the last, you know, two years, 18 months or so, and looked into the future to think about what it can do more, what it can do better, um, and maybe evolve? Yeah, that's a that's a fabulous question. Um, we've been working on a project called Defining Our Future. Um, a few years ago, we actually did a futures report to look at what were all the social trends that might be affecting real estate. And now we've more specifically gotten to, taken that and converted into defining our future as an organization. And one of the things I think that's that's really been kind of a, a push pull is this the idea of globalization means that we have a very far-flung membership, but we still need to create that sense of community and belonging and shared interests and shared knowledge um, like any good community. And um, one of the things that the pandemic has really brought to the forefront for us is that the idea of um, member engagement is absolutely crucial. You know, it's forefront and digital only gets you so far. So as we 
come back and plan new events and, you know, things that had been turned into webinars that, you know, will now become, you know, conferences, um, you know, local chapters will start meeting again, um, things like that is being really mindful that we're addressing real everyday concerns of our professionals getting back to work and mindful that we are creating and recreating our community of professionals on a daily basis. Yeah. How do you do that in the U.S.? I mean, because as you said, you know, this is not a requirement to to have a certification like like this, right? What benefit does a membership uh, to an American, you know, professional bring? You know, for one thing, obviously, having a community of people in your own in your own businesses is, is nice. RICS, obviously, there's there's the value add with the you know the kind of clients that you can attract. But additionally, um, RICS is such a as I mentioned before, it's such a varied membership group that you know when you, when you want to get together with your friends in the business and you know every single person in the room is an appraiser. I'm not sure you're going to benefit a whole bunch of that from that, other than have a nice time. Have Have you been to an appraisal conference then recently? <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize they were so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, when you're in the room and, you know, and you've got, you know, somebody that does facilities management, somebody else does appraisal, somebody else does property tax, the things that you learn from each other are, in in my mind, just, you know, multiplied um, exponentially just because you get the same question answered, you know, many different ways. That's exactly right, and I think that's a that's a very valuable point because I think there is uh, there is tremendous opportunity I think in in hearing the other the other perspective or or a different view on on the on the same topic, and I think that extends outside of commercial real estate as well. And given sort of everything that we've gone through over the last you know couple of years here, and this is you know maybe a bit of a personal question, but what gives you hope? <laughs> well. You know, as we talked a little bit about before, I'm really jazzed by the pressure from the ESG focused investors. I hope it I hope it stays that way and you know becomes a the global standard. I'm I'm excited by the you know measurable positive results from diversifying the C suites. New technologies and construction I think are really interesting right now with you know heavy timber buildings modular construction, 3D printing buildings. There's just all kinds of really fun stuff happening there. And then I guess probably the thing that gives me the most hope right now is I think the pandemic has made us realize that our problems don't stop at the border. We have a we have gained, I think, as a species, a perception that we're we're one human race with one planet and and that we need to tackle our problems that way. Anne, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Stay safe and we'll be in touch. Great. Thank you, Vlad. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.